We are I. Good afternoon, everybody. We're sitting down with Debbie DeSantos. Welcome to We Are I. Um, Debbie's got a pretty interesting story for us. She's been a powerhouse her entire life, uh, ever since she was first born. And, you know, I haven't known Debbie for very long myself either. But, you know, every time we sit down and talk, I just, my eyes just pop right open time and time and time again. So um, she's going to sit down and she's going to share her story. And then her and I are just going to chitter chatter about life in general. So, Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You just made me blush. You just made you blush? <laughs> Well, that's why I was saying that. Yeah, we were talking just a few seconds ago, and we had to do this introduction over again because I just learned that Dos Santos actually means of the saints in Portuguese. So I feel like when you carry the last name of the saints, you're pretty high bar walking through life. <laughs> yeah, kind of a little bit of pressure there. A <laughs> little bit of pressure. Now, everybody, the expectation of this podcast from here on is like, you know, she's wielding swords and running over mountains, and yeah, that's going to yeah. be the new bar for the that's rest right. of the conversation. So, yeah. and it actually is pretty much close to the same, um, the same context because the one thing that really made me want to have Debbie to come on is because she, no matter what has been going on in her life, has always found a way to be able to incorporate health and fitness in her life ever since that she was young. And from a person who's tried to do the same things, she even blows me out of the water tenfold. Um, so again, Debbie, want to tell us a little bit more about you growing up in... Did you have one sibling, 10, 11? <laughs> well, you know the answer to those questions. I do. But um, just so that everyone has a little bit of context here, um, I'm one of 12 um, and uh, grew up towards the young end of the batch. I was the ninth out of, well, actually 10th out of 12 because the first one, my parents' first baby actually passed away from crib death. So there's 11 growing up. Um, but anyways, uh, you could imagine being on the young end of those things and all these different personalities in the household and the chaos and the, uh, it's just so much happening all at once. Right. Um, what was the split like in so your siblings between boys and girls? Six and five, six boys, five girls. Oh, so like an even split yeah, too. Yeah. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of leverage on either side. Must've just been chaos though growing up. No. Yeah. It was it, like, I think about dinner time. It was two sittings, one of six and one of five. Yeah. What kind of table do you have to, because that's like 11 kids and two adults. Well, yeah, yeah. If my parents even sat down with us, which actually didn't happen very often because my mother was busy getting the next round ready or whatever it may be. Yeah. And my father actually worked pretty long hours. He was an engineer and worked for Imperial Tobacco, a cigarette company in Montreal. And he would have to, to be able to feed a family that big. I know, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, we we ate. Very, very. I mean, it was cornflakes for breakfast and peanut butter for lunch and dry. I have one sibling, and we were eating cornflakes for breakfast. So, <laughs> what does that say? Raisin bran was a treat. Yeah. Raisins. Oh my god, we got some raisins, some sugar coated raisins in our awesome. cereal today. I remember times when we didn't even have food in the house to have a proper meal. Like I remember taking a can of uh, evaporated milk. You know that yeah. carnation evaporated milk, diluting it with water. And pouring it on white bread that I've ripped into little pieces. That's crazy. And that was breakfast. Wow. Because it was 
11 children on yeah. one income. Like, we weren't, we lived in a nice neighborhood. We had a nice house, but I think they might have maxed that on the mortgage because that was not an uncommon situation growing up. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my own winter coat till I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. It was always hand me downs. Always. Yeah, you know, like, and hand-me-down clothes are are totally different than diluted carnation milk and having it with (laughs) bread. You know, but I even look at one thing that I ate lots of when I was growing up, just because, you know, my grandparents being in the Depression era was, you know, like the typical Ukrainian butter and sugar sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, I like how many of those things that I ate, I look at it now, I'm like, man, that's just so terrible. (laughs) Yeah, but hey, they they survive, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but all these little things, I mean, leading into health and fitness, it it just develops a part of you that's very resilient and very resourceful, right? Because you're like, oh, there's no milk in the house and there's no cereal in the household. I'm not going to go without breakfast. Mm. I'll figure something out. Well, here's something that says milk on the label. I'll figure it out. I tried to make milk with vanilla protein powder and water once to put on those uh, rice puffs. Yeah. And every bite, I was just like, oh, what are you doing, Blake? This is terrible. Like it, you know, of course, when I eat cereal too, it's not like a little bowl. I find the biggest bowl that you can find. I'm like whole bag in there. So I'm like just struggling and just, you know, and in my mind, just so stubborn. I'm like, you got to get it. You got to finish it. You're going to eat all the way to the end. It's so bad. (laughs) That's so gross. But yeah, um, and then yeah, being in that chaotic household and that, and as a youngster, um, you disappear into your own interests just to you know save your sanity sometimes. Um, the one, so anyways, I would disappear into reading was a big part. I remember just strolling around the house looking for another book to read, but I did notice looking back, I always gravitated towards the, the um, biological science things. Any magazine I can find kicking around that had an article on it or any kind of books and things. My parents had an encyclopedia set and I would always be digging through that looking and and things. But to me, I didn't recognize it at the time as a passion. To me, it was just me. It was what I was reading. Um, and then um, once I was old enough to get out of the house and do my own thing, um, I started to just do a lot of athletic endeavors because it just, I found the way I felt when I was doing things it it allows your brain to sort of shift gears and you can and you can really focus on what you're doing in the moment um and also uh, it allows you to um have a complete control over what you're doing as opposed to being in a household where there's so much going on and you aren't in control of really anything other than your reaction to the situation but in athletics you can set a goal you can control it you can put your targets out there you can um, yeah, so it really made me gravitate towards being an athletic person. Were you big into athletics, like through the whole course of your childhood, growing up, just as a way to be able to get the house? And it's it's complete pandemonium when I'm here, so I just need an environment that I can escape to that's just mine and mine alone. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had a little bike. I had a 10-speed with the coiling handlebars. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was my mode of transportation because you're not going to get a ride from them or dad. They're just too busy, right? And I had friends. You know, I lived in the west side of Montreal. And um, do you know Montreal at all? Not at all. Well, I had friends in in, uh, a place called Pancourt, Il Perot, which is a a long way in a car, never mind on a bicycle. But I managed to get there on a regular basis. And I would find pathways on my bike away from the traffic just through wandering. Um, This is obviously before the helicopter parenting days. Yes, hugely, yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and then just would, you know, I would spend, I don't know how many hours on my bike, but I would intentionally 
take my time coming home. And that turned me into a cyclist because I just was like no rush to get home. And so that kind of forced me to stay on my bike a little longer and wander around on my way back from my friend's house, just, you know, just to have that because I really liked just the alone time. And, and it's funny um, when we're kids about how we don't even recognize what we're doing, but you're intentionally fostering an environment for stress management. You know, when you look back at it now, you know, like what we know as adults being, you know, you recognize this high stress environment. You also recognize the benefit of being outside and being on your bike and you prolong that experience instead of getting back into the stressful situation. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're right. And as a kid, we don't know, we can't, we don't know. Nobody's taught us these things. It's just survival skills really is what it is. Right. And, uh, I mean, I never interrupt a young child when they're in their own world on the playground or something. I'm like, oh, they're, look at that. Yeah. They're figuring things out. They need the time, you know, their, their brain needs to rest. So when I had my first daughter, actually, I listened to a study that specifically talked about that, about how we're in such a rush nowadays when our children stop to be able to pick up that rock or, you know, to see that worm crawling across the ground. We're just like, come on, let's go, you know, like get going. And you don't allow them to be able to have that moment and that connection with that thought process and, you know, just be able to have their own little world. So I know with my girls, I really try to do that now when they, when they want something and they see it, where even if you are in a little bit of a rush, just giving them the opportunity to be able to have those moments because they are critical. They are. And if you, when you think about your childhood, those are the moments that you remember those little flashes, you know, and, but and on the same topic, but it's different side of the coin is if you're a parent and you have children that aren't prone to that kind of activity, that may be innately a stressful human being, um, or may be easily distracted with their electronic gadgets or whatever. Encourage them. You you be the you be the child for the moment. Look around, see a rock, and say, hey, let's see what's under that rock, and sort of help them realize these little skills that are that are and, and that the world around them is a beautiful place that's full of incredible things beyond the stress that they're having you know well it's yeah. a big part of it like you said it's the you know adults paving the way of just getting out outside and i feel like that's the the one thing that i really love about living in bc is because there's so many active parents like parents are like let's get outside let's go you know like we we have the lowest obesity rates in all of Canada and all of Canada and the United States. And I think it's really just because the, the willingness to step outside the door, yeah, you know, like we all know, like our kids or, you know, people's kids who may or may not spend a little bit too much time, you know, playing their games and all that kind of stuff. But like mm-hmm. fundamentally as a culture in BC, you know, like we're really good at getting outside and, you know, dragging kids out, getting outside as a leading by example. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It is. It's beautiful for that. It's a big reason why I moved here. Yeah. Um, what else, much of besides riding your bikes, obviously you weren't a bike 365 like we can in BC. There must have been something else that you done in the wintertime. Uh, yeah, winter, well, in the summers there was the biking and then I turned into, um, I went to uh, synchronized swimming. Synchronized swimming, that was your winter activity? That to was my like summer and summer. then it turned into a winter because in Quebec they have fantastic athletic programs and great facilities so you can do these things 365 and we had a nice rec center near the house that had a great um, swim program. So I joined the synchronous swimming program. I was also in ballet, which was something my parents put me in. It wasn't my own little way, and it didn't really work for me. I didn't like it. Um, but the synchronized swimming was great, so that was my own thing. And so I did that um, all year round, and then the cycling. And then in the winter, um, yeah, it was just more of in the arena doing uh, the swimming. And then I joined a competitive swim team after watching them for a while, because I'm like, huh. I wonder if I could do that. You know, it looks really cool if they can do it. And my logic is always, if someone else can do it, why can't I? I like it. My, my whole approach to life in general is like that. Just, you know, 
there's no one human being that makes another human being more like special enough that they're the only person who can do that. So like if somebody else has accomplished it, like fundamentally everybody else can do it to some extent. Yeah, to some extent is the key part of that because we can't deny genetics. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So. But having like the ambition to get out there, you know, like you think of, you know, growing up in Southern Alberta myself and you in, you know, Montreal, a lot of people just use the excuse of the cold yeah. or even like in the summertime in Southern Alberta, like it's hot. Like there's yeah. always some kind of environmental excuse where you could say, I'm not going to go outside or I'm not going to get this done. But, you know, it's a big part of just the, the determination inside of us to want to be able to get outside and do things too. A hundred percent. You can figure, you can, there's always a way and it's always about that desire and if you say, oh, it's too hot outside, you know what? Honest, like, be honest with yourself. You don't really want to do whatever it is you're thinking of doing. You're just looking for excuses. And it's those people out there on the do on their bikes and on their runs when it's really hot out. And I see them and I'm, yeah, I should be doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Look at them. They're out there. But yeah. And do you, did you, when you were going, because there are so many siblings, did you feel more like that was you know, because you could kind of just get lost in the mix that you, you had to go outside. So it pushed you more into those environments more. So when you got into sports, like you felt more like a connection or a draw to it because like you needed the connection just because when you were at home, it was just such mixed bag mm-hmm. when you were there. Um, I think part of it was a big part of it was again, not a conscious thing, but it, provided a sense of accomplishment that you don't necessarily get at home in that environment with that many or probably even siblings. like recognition too it's right. probably hard as a parent to be able to recognize the accomplishments of each one of your children when you have 11 children running around but then you get into an athletic environment and coaches just hone in on your skills right right and you have that attention from the coach to help you focus in on those things and give you some feedback which you weren't necessarily getting at home um and think of all the negative avenues somebody could have gone to be able to get that same attention. But again, always the benefit of all of us putting our kids in sports and, you know, even us as adults getting into athletic environments, we're getting that positive feedback loop in like mm-hmm. a really healthy environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of it too, I never thought about this part before until now that we're talking, is that I think a lot of it was um, being in, envir- in an environment that um, that cult- that that cultivated some productive behavior. I'm not one to micromanage my children and never was, and I don't think anyone should, but I think of being in a big family like that, what, what we miss was that, that little bit of attention to say, hey, how's it going today? How can we make that better? How can you, you know, there was none of that. So in, in athletics, you get that, whether it's yourself saying, how did I do today? Or it's a coach giving you that individual attention and feedback and concern over your progress. Well, and it's just, you know, like we all know with kids that, you know, structure and schedules and, you know, that's a big part of kids being successful and being, you know, brought up and raised and that must have been really hard with having so many kids and you would have got that, you know, being in athletic environments where there's, you know, you got to be somewhere at a certain time, you know, there's an expectation of performance, you know, like you get positive and negative feedback based on that performance. It just helps set you up for success mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it really, and it kept me away from, obviously, drugs and alcohol. Um, I mean, some of my peers in that had similar um, home lives weren't so lucky. They didn't discover athletics, um, whether it be because they were living more in the city. We lived kind of rural, so, you know, things like cycling was an essential thing. There was nowhere to get around unless you jumped on a bike. 
uh, we had a lot more green space, but um, yeah, I think I was lucky in that way that just my personality type pushed me in that direction, you know, instead of um, being the type of person that might feel sorry for myself or look for an alternative way to get away from the chaos, such as drugs and alcohol, or even worse, behavioral issues, you know, putting my frustration out on others, becoming an abusive type of person. There's all these other ways it could have worked out. And I'm really grateful that I'm the kind of person that gravitated towards athletics and academics. Well, yeah, and just being born that way because, you know, being, you know, one of, you know, 11 siblings, you can easily act it out at home and got the attention that way. But there's just a part of you that gravitated towards, you know, getting out on the bike, you know, going, joining the swim team and Mm -hmm. all those kind of things to be able to get that because attention, like you said, can come in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. And that can even happen with kids being an only child or, you know, two siblings or three siblings. You know, like that's, you know, obviously a big core of who you are is just seeking out more positive environments as an outlet versus just trying to draw in the drama and the the negativity, right? Yeah, sure. And the other part of um, how I grew up that's influenced my health and fitness is um, my parents uh, and their own health. My father was really, really cut and fit and muscular. I don't know how, well, he coached soccer teams for my brothers and things like that. But back in the day, it wasn't like he went to the gym all the time. And like, you've heard my our household diet. It wasn't great. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing that your parents could find the time to even prioritize themselves amongst such a chaotic environment. Well, I don't think they did. And this is what I'm getting to. My father was a chain smoker. Oh. Because he worked for a tobacco yeah. company. And they free gave, cigarettes they all day long? free cigarettes. I remember trying a cigarette I snuck into his closet one time. <laughs> he got... He got these big paper bags, you know, like from the grocery store, yep. full of cartons of cigarettes. Oh, that's fun. I know. And <laughs> here I was, and I was like, geez, you know, he's always smoking them. And then, like, I've seen my friends smoke, and some of my siblings smoked, and like, I'm going to try this. And probably thing. still seeing ads on TV, and too, of, like, you know, people, because that was back when there was commercials on TV yeah. about people oh, yeah. smoking and smoking in movies, and... You they know, would sponsor athletic events, the players or whatever. I, oh, I remember that. Do. You know, and even yeah, like, like the, the Indy 500. Yeah. I remember going around and seeing like the little players' cigarette things. The cars were going around. Yeah. And yeah, what an I totally forgot about yeah. that. So it was just part of every day. It was That's what people did. And I thought, I'm going to try this. And I remember sneaking in, trying to you know get it out of the pack without it being too noticeable. And bring it into the bathroom and having a smoke. And then my mom caught me and... What did she say? She threatened me with something. I forget. It was enough to just scare the crap out of me. But I had another friend whose father caught her trying to smoke. And I think this is genius. He made he, he was really cool about it. He said, oh, you like smoking, do you? Well, not really. He says, no, clearly you do. I mean, you're having a smoke. So smoke the whole pack. Oh, that used to be the standard thing all the parents oh, used really? to I do, eh? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, smoke every single one and get the yep. kids sick. And, yeah, that's, then... what she, that's what happened. She got so sick that she never could stand cigarettes again. But how tough, though, you know, just when you're exposed to, you know, like that kind of environment, you know, where, you know, like your dad's smoking all the time. Obviously, we all idolize our parents, and you have, like, an abundance of free cigarettes everywhere anytime you want, and you just never picked it up. Yeah. I think about that today. If you were to bring home cartons and cartons of smokes and just leave them around, what does that say about your advocacy for health and fitness, right? Yeah, I find it, but I, but it's like that concept is so interesting to me because what's what's fundamentally the difference in stopping at McDonald's on the way home? 
you know, like where there's like a lot of like these things where you make like immediate yeah. like transfers like that, where it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to try to prioritize health and fitness, but I'm going to smoke, but then we can also, you know, stop and get McDonald's on the way home or, you know, something along those mm-hmm. lines where it's, it's a very similar context because they're both just as bad for your body, right. you know, where it's yeah. the, you know, which, which road do you want to go down, yeah. you know, and I think that's the problem, you know, with us nowadays is there's not just one road. There's like 30 roads to travel. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm bad for it now because like I was talking to one of my friends yesterday, you know, and like we were just kind of casually chit-chatting throughout the day. And um, I don't know, she mentioned something about like chocolate, like in the morning and like all day, you know, it's just like that nagging. And like in my mind, it's like, like, you know, you want some chocolate. <laughs> it's like, just go to the store right now. It's like noon. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to the store to get chocolate. And by like nine o'clock at night when I go out of work, you know, when you're hungry and you're yeah. just like, damn, that chocolate, that's a good idea. So I stopped at Save On Foods. I got a bag of the chocolate covered M&Ms or like my crack and I'm sitting there eating them. I'm like, man, I'm like, I got all this willpower and all these other categories, but I'm still sitting here eating this damn bag of chocolate covered M&Ms because yeah. I've been thinking about it all day long. <laughs> the peanut M&Ms? Yeah. Oh yeah, they're awesome. I know. Is then I have like, you know, clients at the club here and it's, um, you know, then one of the, like, Christmas times, she's like, you always talk about the dark chocolate-covered M&Ms. And now you can only get them in the States. You can't get them in Canada, so I never eat them. And then, so what does she do at Christmas time? Goes to the States and buys a couple of bags of dark chocolate-covered M&Ms, give them to me. And I just stared at them. I'm like, as soon as she gave them to me here, I'm like, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, but I might as well just start eating them now. Yeah. I just love, <laughs> like, I, I have a really tough, they're, they're definitely my crack for sure. Yeah. You got to have a little bit of that, though. I find if I can eat a little bit of gross stuff and then I feel gross, then I remember why I don't eat that stuff. And then it's easier to stay eating healthy because you feel so gross. Yeah. yeah. And where I find it is I really try to only do it at night because I feel so bad in the morning and I work out in the morning. It usually helps me, you know, oh, curve it at night. strategy. Good. Yeah. Because yeah. I just... Cause, well, and for if I could only eat maybe like five or ten of them, that would be a lot better. But I eat like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like handful after handful. I I have, I have a problem. And you're huge as a result. You're just huge. Yeah. Your body fat is what eighty percent. No, I I'm technically <laughs> I'm morbidly obese though, according to the good old body mass index that we're all supposed to live by. Are so, you serious? Yeah. I'm, what? Well, I'm thirty. Well, depending on like my weight, so I, I'm technically 30 pounds overweight of what the weight should be for my height. So I fall into an obese, and sometimes, you know, I fall into a morbidly obese category. That tells you how inaccurate and off the mark those things are. Yeah, I got turned down for life insurance because of it. Really? Yeah, the nurse had to come to the house. She's like, well, you know, you fall into like an obese category, you know, so like when the nurse came, they're just like, well, obviously, you know, like they just do like the like the visual assessment, but still, you know, like you get red flagged for these things because of, you know, the standard norm, right? But the, you know, with our healthcare system now, like there's absolutely nothing that incorporates the system for um, athletic people. And I find that to be one of the challenging things in, in BC is because there's so many healthy people, but you know, all these standards in healthcare are from a national level. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that I know I'm going to the doctor and going through all these tests and it's only just because they fall into an athletic range. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's interesting wow. though. Yeah, know. very interesting. Yeah, that's really sad. But uh, so where did you take your, your sports and your, your athletics like outside of, out of school? Like once you graduated, what was next for you? Uh, once I graduated um, in university, I was on the cross country running team and the swim team too, just to keep my head straight while I was studying biology um and then uh I had my kids and it was hard at that time it's like I just I just you know how am I going to fit this in and so what I would do is um I even got as far as you know calling the neighbor's daughter over so if I can go for a run for an hour while my baby was having a nap 
uh, just getting getting thinking outside the box um, and I know they say you're supposed to nap when baby naps but honestly let's get real like if you're gonna you know if you don't want to be that typical out of shape oh I've just had a baby give me five years kind of thing I, and, and your energy is lackluster like I mean, it's just a snowball effect you know so I decided well I just got to figure it out there was that and then of course the great strollers that you can go running with and the different ways that you can stay active and then when my kids got old enough to get on little training wheel bikes and things like that I would throw my running shoes on and they would right beside me on their little training wheels go for a little run or go for a hike whatever just get out and do stuff and I think it was really good for them to see mom doing these things instead of mom doing nothing and complaining about not having any energy I guess I don't well that and is you know is incorporating our kids like into our lives yeah. you know making them feel like they're just like this extra baggage to their lives or to our lives yeah. You know, where then, you know, when they feel incorporated and then they're going to want to incorporate their friends into it. And then more importantly, they're going to want to incorporate their kids when they're older yeah. too. And, you know, like they don't have to be a barrier. You know, I always tell people all the time, you know, like I'll take my girls to the track and they'll run around kicking the ball on the field while I do sprints. That's, a, yeah, I do, do the same thing. Go on the, uh, run around the, um, the 400 yeah. meter thing and let them just play in the middle. Yeah. I find, I find that the biggest thing with people is it's more... All of these things are just easy justifications just not to be physically active. Like, yeah. you can be as physically active with your kids as you want. Like, I let my one-year-old crawl up the grouse grind because she wants to. Mm -hmm. And then when she gets tired and wants me to pick her up, I pick her up and I carry her. And then when she wants down, you know, she kind of hand and feet, you know, crawl mm -hmm. up. But, you know, she loves it. You know, like she – and, you know, all my girls have always been very successful at, you know, doing those things because, for one – you know, like they see me do it and I always incorporate them into it. And there's going to, once we do it and once you're doing something, you, your kids always want to be a part of it, mm. you know, so you're only going to have to carry them for so long before they're going to want to get down. You know, when they're kicking the soccer ball around on the field, like, you know, they, they might only play, you know, an iPad for so long before they actually just want to kind of get up and be a part of it and mm. stuff. So, but again, it's just us having the responsibility of taking them out there and doing it and incorporating them into our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And it does, it makes them feel included. Um, uh, it just, and then they, again, they just, they see what you're doing, but they also recognize that they are separate from you and they have their own activity. Um, so there's that blend of it being a family activity, but also it's your own thing. Hmm. Um, and I think it's also an opportunity for them to learn those basic fundamental, so important skills a youngster about exploring their own world. Um, and, and just doing their own problem solving, sitting there, kicking a soccer ball around or doing a puzzle on the ground or whatever it is you got for them there to keep themselves busy without your interference because you're a couple hundred meters away doing something and then they oh geez you know mom's too far she can't hear me I'll figure this out you know? it's actually yeah. funny you said that I was just listening to a podcast last week where um they were talking to this um human science professor and you saw about when when kids know that there's always a parent around whenever there's a conflict amongst children it no longer becomes an entity of conflict resolution amongst those kids what it becomes is who can leverage the parent's opinion so it's not it's nothing to do about the problem anymore it becomes like who can impress the parent to get them on their side mm -hmm. so the parent then deals with the conflict for them mm -hmm. but like one thing we take away with our kids and not allowing our kids to be able to freely play and be exposed to other children is, is conflict resolution mm -hmm. and just understanding that there's not always going to be a parent there and they need to figure those things out yeah. on their own that is scary it is scary. But you want to know that the scary part about it is that the world that we've created in Canada and the United States has got to a point now where the, there's some states um, in the United States and Canada is going to be following this same route that 
they're passing these bills called free range kid bills because there's so many parents who live in fear of having their children taken away from them or other parents calling social services because they let their kids walk down the street and go to the park they actually now have passed laws saying that you're allowed to without the fear of persecution let your child maybe walk two or three blocks to the park if they're six seven eight years old go play in the park and come back home because it's all a part of becoming a healthy functioning adult like when the government has to step in and say you need to stop over parenting your children and you if you don't want to helicopter your parent and not live in fear of persecution we have to pass this law to be able to protect you because you actually are right. Like that is the world that we're slowly getting into. And there's states like the state of Utah was the first state that actually passed that bill. That just tells me though, it's, it's, it says so much about people and their interference in other people's lives. Clearly this arose because it was using up a lot of community policing resources probably to deal with a backlog of complaints of somebody letting their kid run down the street. You know, why is that person complaining to begin with? Like, I get it. I appreciate you might be a little concerned for someone's child. If there was a registered sex offender and you were sending your child to their house to sell brownies or girl got cookies or whatever, I, okay, maybe. But other than that, I just don't, I, I think it's really sad that we have to do that to reel in these people who are out there judging other people's lives and using up community resources to, you know, what's going on in your backyard? Yeah, and you know, they what they know now, it has a lot to do with the outrage culture that we live in these days, you know, where everybody has to be a social justice warrior saying like, you know, this is bad, they're gonna latch onto an idea, ruin people's lives, you know, because what they believe in is wrong. You know, they have to take it so far, but you know, really at the end of the day, you know, not allowing those kids to be able to go out and just freely play, like it really takes a lot of their their functional skills that they're learning how to be able to develop that they need as adults is mm -hmm. taking it away from them. And it causes hyper anxiety and depression and dependence on somebody else. It takes a lot of the independent free thinking away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you live in a world that's constantly scary and there's always bad things, you're going to get hurt and you're going to get abducted and you're going to get hit by a car. Like, if that's the world that you live in, you are going to manifest that in your children. And it's mm -hmm. not okay. You know, like children aren't going to break. And if they, they break a bone, it's going to heal. Like kids have always broken bones. They've always gotten scars and we've always been resilient and we live, mm -hmm. you know, on this planet today. Right. And I find those to be this more scary parts about life, you know, when it comes to like raising children and, you know, the reason I guess kind of in my mind why I'm passionate about it because a lot of it has to do with kids just being healthy and strong, you know, whether it be mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally, but physically, like learning the skills of walking to the park and they want to go to the park and play, mm -hmm. you know, but the alternative to that is you've created such a scary world for you and your children that the result of that is then them playing on their iPad mm -hmm. because that's the only safe environment that you mm -hmm. think is in this world. But then you want to sit and bitch complain to all your friends that all your child does is sit and play on their iPad. Right. It's like, well, then let them walk to the park on their own let them go do things you know like um on that same podcast they were talking about that they actually ran the numbers and if you left your child in a car went inside to a store it would take about seven thousand years for that child to be abducted from your car that's how <laughs> safe the world is that we live in yeah but like you think if i if this child goes anywhere where i can't see them mm -hmm. they're gonna be gone yeah. you know but that's just your own personal fear but you transfer that anxiety onto the children. They don't mm -hmm. allow to be able to develop in, you know, mm -hmm. to their own independent world. That podcast sounds 
a lot like a documentary I watched recently. I think it was David Suzuki. I love David Suzuki's work. Uh, yeah, and it was it was um, it was studies done on risk management with young children and how that skill is being completely obliterated by the types of parenting techniques you're talking about. And they cited a lot of studies. They had, a, you know, it's David Suzuki, so it was very science-based and evidence-based. And it was about the what the reality of how safe our world actually is. What are the chances of a child being abducted? Um, and how uh, you need to let your children get out there and make mistakes. And they, they use, like, the playground thing. You know how playgrounds now are just either they don't exist or they're super safe to the point where they're not even that much fun. And the science has shown that you actually have to let your children get on these very risky things and fall and hurt themselves and break a bone or, you know, break their skin open or something. Then they learn about their, they learn about evaluating risk and how they're going to approach it in life. That's, that's when they learn it. Well, and, you know, the, the thing is, part of how they have, like, those big, thick rubber mats now. There's no sand, and, you know, then they went to whatever those little, um, you know, rubber pallets, and then it was, um, like, bark mulch or whatever. And then, you know, so I have those big, thick rubber mats. Well, when we go there in the summertime, you can't stand on it. It's yeah. so hot. Like, so did anybody ever think of, you know, like, maybe kids getting third-degree burns because, yeah. you know, maybe a baby who can't move is just saying they're getting baked by it or – the heat stroke because of the heat that's then resonating off that mat and all these kids playing in the heat. So, you know, like you can, you can create any environment you want, but again, at the end of the day, you know, look at all the crazy rickety slides and swings and everything that we're on with sand underneath them or like little tiny pea gravel. And mm -hmm. yeah, I might have a few scars and whatever, but for, for 35, I'm doing pretty good for myself. Yeah. And that like, again, well, you wouldn't, I don't know if you had longer hair as a kid, but get your hair caught in the little yeah, chains absolutely. of a swing. Yeah. Right. So you learned if I'm going to get on something that has moving parts, I'm going to tie my hair back. Yeah. Cause it's going to really hurt if I don't. Yeah. You know, and today I don't know what they even have. What is even a swing set now? What is it? Is it a, a rope? Yeah, you know, like swing sets. Yeah, those, those are saying it's kind of more just like the the ground that things are on. And you know, where the interesting contrast behind that is now they have all these like crazy climbing apparatuses that are like 15 feet in the air at playgrounds, and kids are climbing 15 feet in the air through all these like you know meshed ropes and stuff. Yeah. Where if they fall, you'd easily break your arm or your leg. Yeah. But that's okay. But what you're landing on eventually as you hit the ground, <laughs> that has to be like this soft cushion surface. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's crazy. But yeah, those are – that's a little tangent. It's something that is – I'm pretty passionate about because I just – I look at it that I want my girls, especially being girls, where, you know, the way that I approach it is I'd rather take my child to karate mm -hmm. or like a, you know, a martial art. They can learn the discipline. They can learn the skill and then allow them – to be able to go out in that environment on their own so that you give them the tool that they need to be able to be successful so they can understand their fight or flights. And, you know, like when you get that sense, it's like, you know, what do I need to do? Because fight or flight now is where's the closest adult that I can run to to be able to leverage for help. Yeah. You know, but that's not always going to be that way. You know, and, you know, the, the quicker that we can nurture that, the better, you know, growing up on a farm in southern Alberta, like, you know, my daycare was outside, mm -hmm. you know, like my parents were busy and it was basically, we just walked out the front door and you had acres to roam around on. And, you know, you came back whenever you came back when you were hungry, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. But you, you learned, you knew when that was, you paid attention to your surroundings, right? There was no one telling you, you weren't, you weren't 
sort of turned off to that cue, right? You, you, you had your own instincts alert, like aware, looking at the, where's the sign, you know, whatever, you know, I, it's just, I think now we're teaching our kids to just be um, waiting for the prompts, waiting for the cues, waiting for the instruction, waiting for the whatever. And it's, it just, that's so, so counterproductive for our children. I just, I just think that's terrible. Which is interesting because we all know as adults, they're all skills that we need, you know, to be able to have, to be able to navigate environments, high stress environments, you know, you know, be functioning in society, but we don't give our, our children the tools for that. And you know, like I see it a lot, you know, in my day of, you know, like parents who prioritize their own health and fitness, but still living by that golden rule of their kids, they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, what we know now is that you're just setting your child up for like the type two diabetes and the heart yeah. disease because the lifestyle that they adopt when they're young, that yeah. they can't break. That's why we're all doing what we do today. Yeah. 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 And I think honestly, when I look at my siblings, none of us are overweight. None of us smoke. Nobody has a drinking problems. Um, nobody does drugs and which is interesting out of 11 11. siblings like that's that upbringing right and it wasn't a perfect upbringing there was some issues there too Um, and I look at it and I think a lot of that is because we didn't have the luxuries we weren't stopping at McDonald's we weren't getting the computers that a lot of our friends were getting we didn't we didn't have cable TV with all the fancy stuff on it to sit after school we'd have to go and do things we have to make our own snacks at home. We had to make our own lunches and figure things out. There was none of those little luxuries. So I think that had a huge part, and it still does, obviously, have a huge part in how we are as adults. Yeah, I find that to be, like, you brought up a really good point where, you know, when you don't have the ability to be able to go and get food, you have to make it yourself. Because we all we all know as adults, like that's one of the biggest challenges in life is actually preparing your own food. Because it's something you gotta do multiple times a day, every single day. But what worries me, and I hear this all the time, like where kids are using services like skip the dishes to school. Mm -hmm. Like I always find it to be interesting, you know, like where there's not even a concept of making your own lunch or packing it because you just automatically say, oh, I'm just going to get skipped the dishes at school. And you have every restaurant, you know, that you could think of that's yeah. willing to be able to bring food right to your school. Yeah. And it's like, what does that say about health and nutrition? What does it say about the inconvenience of, you know, going to a grocery store and getting food and preparing it? You know, what does it say about flavor manipulation and, you know, like using herbs and spices and all that kind of stuff? Because, you know, it's not even a phone call away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a couple taps on an app. Yeah, it's really scary. And how do we how do we reel that one in? I don't, wouldn't even know where to begin. You know, it it's just you know like the flip side of it. You know, you see the the two sides where people say it's just the natural evolution of you know where we're going with technology. You know, but then on the other side of it is you know we're just becoming so notoriously unhealthy. You know, like there there has to be an apex somewhere where we just. Like people start making the choice saying that it's not okay, mm-hmm. you know, but again, that's like one of the whole purposes behind this podcast is just letting people know out there that there's a lot of people who are willing to do it every day. Yeah. You know, where I like people are shocked at what I tell them. Like I've never used skip the dishes. I don't have the app downloaded on my phone. And I'm like, I understand the convenient side of it. I a hundred percent understand. But like the food that I want to eat, skip the dishes, isn't going to deliver. Yeah. Well, they might deliver M&Ms, who knows. But, like, you know, really when it comes down to it that, you know, I my girls are young enough now where I need for them to prepare food at home. You know, even if I wanted to or not, like, I need to do it for them. Like, we bake, we cook, we chop, we everything together because 
you know, growing up on a farm, I have a really deep connection with food and I really want them to have that because, you know, when we garden at home and they'll sit in the garden and they'll eat cherry tomatoes off the plant or they'll pull beets out of the ground with the dirt on them and eat them like what I used to do in carrots, but they won't even touch that stuff in grocery stores, mm -hmm. you know, because it does taste terrible, mm -hmm. you know, so how can you even penalize when the food you're going to get that's supposed to be healthy taste terrible yeah. and then the food that's this huge pleasure response is a couple taps on apple away and it's only a huge pleasure response because it's full of salt and fat and sugar and it's the combinations yeah. of those things too because you know and i know i've talked about this on this podcast before i'm going to talk about it a million times but i just think it's absolutely criminal that clinical psychologists can work for big food companies yep. and be able to specifically manipulate flavors and textures to make them addicting and to steer you so far away from nature because there's no sweet, savory, and crunchy in nature. Like those mm -hmm. those combination of things don't exist in a singular product mm -hmm. in nature, but that's like the core of all the addictive foods we have mm -hmm. to be able to find these combinations that, that don't exist mm -hmm. and we're designed to gravitate towards them because our body from an evolutionary standpoint needs calories. Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't understand where those calories are coming from. It just understands I need these calories and this tastes really good and things that taste good, I'm going to eat because I need calories. Mm -hmm. And we just end up in this huge rabbit hole of a society. You've touched on something, though, that I think doesn't get discussed enough, which is how big food companies, restaurants, you know, whatever, um, are able to hire psychologists and chemists and things to make the food itself very addictive. But what they're also doing is they're like any other marketing of any product out there. They are creating campa campaigns that, lead you to believe that you are either uh, missing something or that you're not good enough or that you should be afraid of something. Those are the key things about marketing, right? That Create and that if you want to be healthy, you're actually doing something wrong. That's the part that I have a tough time with big food companies because yeah. it's if, if you don't want to eat something bad, mm -hmm. oh, it's okay to eat that donut once a week. Yeah. You know, but how many people just eat one donut a week? Treat yourself. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah. the donut and then it's the ice cream and then it's the Chinese food and then it's the pizza. It's the combination of these things all the time. And then, you know, even trying to find a product that doesn't have sugar added to mm -hmm. it, you know, in the grocery store aisles or like anywhere is, is impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, I I find the, the most frustrating part of, of my day and the things that I see that are most prevalent is the healthier you want to be, the more the more guilt you're going to naturally carry in your life. Like, you know, you're going for another workout. Didn't you already work out today? Oh, yeah. From, oh, you, you worked out too external guilt, not internal. Well, you feel the internal guilt because you have the pressure of people. Because I, I deal with this with clients all the time. They're just like, you know what? You know, I have this this husband or this wife or, you know, like my family. Or, you know, like they just – I they say I work out too much. You know, like, oh, you're getting run down. Or, like, you know, they'll get a cold. And they'll be like, oh, it's because of the way you're eating. And it's like, well, no, like there's influenza flying around right now. I mean, they get it sick because you're getting sick too. But it's the, the guilt of wanting to be able to use our bodies and treat our bodies the way that they were mm -hmm. supposed to because, again, it's the justification for other people not to do anything. You know what? I get that all the time. And people, oh, they, because people know I'm, you know, I like to work out and whatever. I'm very athletic and I eat really disciplined food and I have my little containers at work and then, you know, pre measured and everything. And, I get that all the time. If I'm tired or if I yawn, oh, geez, are you working it too hard? You know, what time were you up this morning? Things like that. Or maybe you're not eating enough carbohydrates. Like, are you eating enough? 
it just it's just never ending or yeah just you're working out too much come up for drinks like you don't have to go to the gym you know but in the same breath these same people will tell you that they're also tired or that they're also maybe sore their back is sore well because you don't have any core muscle right um i find that to be the same thing it's just yeah. it's almost like they don't want you to i don't know i think there's something something in there also it's a reflection of the person that's telling you you've exercised too much or that you're eating too disciplined or whatever it is there is a part of it if it's a family member sure they, they care about you they love you and they, they want to make sure that you're okay that you aren't in fact are not in fact burning yourself out and I get that so it does come from a place of love a little bit but I think that has to be tempered with support support for the goals and whatnot so if they are getting a little bit burned out then you say how can I help you achieve your goals without you getting burned out can I do your laundry this week can I help you prep your food? Whatever it is, you know? And, and you know, in a lot of those things, like I think the underlying point behind that is, you know, everybody kind of working together for, you know, like a similar goal. You know, but like in a household of four people, you can have four people who eat completely differently. You know, some one person might want to, you know, not eat carbohydrates. The other person might be like McDonald's all day, you know, and like all these different, you know, situations. But it's not, it's not cohesive, you know, and we all grew up in families like in the very near past you know where a mom or a grandma or a dad or a grandma like somebody made a meal put it on the table and if you didn't eat it you went to bed hungry yep you know like all of our parents tell us story i lived that generation but now it's like you know you know like with my girls on you know there's like two three four different options You're i'm like not. i just want you to eat well it's all like there's a base of something you know like like vegetables will change and all that okay. kind of stuff right but it's not like um but I find like those are things where then it becomes more complicated because there's so much more effort that's be put out versus just like kind of the effort should be in a meal and then everybody just kind of like eats that, you know, but now there's just, then there's all the emotion and like the physical stress that comes along with having to deal with that stress when all those environments aren't cohesive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I find, uh, you know, like synergistic goals, you know, whether like in social situations or, you know, at home, like those those can be challenging, you know, and they never used to exist in, you know, but just with our endless amount of options now becomes an endless amount of possibilities. I couldn't imagine growing up at a time when we could just have food delivered to the school, honestly. I just couldn't imagine that. And, then, and there's that social pressure that comes with that too, because what about the children that can't afford that? Yeah, you know, or then... That gets thrown in there. And then, you know, like, what about the, also the social pressure of being able to maintain that? Yeah. You know, like there's all those things and when children are still developing, because like the children that I'm talking to, it's not like they're like 17, 18, 19 years old, like they're 12, 13, 14 years old. Like, you know, how do you process that as that job where like everything is that accessible and that easy? Yeah. You know, like, like I know kids who order stuff off, I know adults who order stuff off Amazon too, they'll order like, you know, the same thing, but like three different sizes because they're just like, I'll return the other ones. And it's like. You know, but that's the world that we live in, and that's okay. Like, Amazon is okay with that. It's just a part of, like, they're not doing anything wrong, but it's like, that's the world we live in. This the community well, okay, well, I just won't order one, order all of them, figure out which one I want, and I'll just send the ones I don't want back because I'm just not going to go to the store and get it. And I know, like, not having. I like, think that's crazy. I just. Sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, but even like we're talking about, like, the food del delivery services where. Before it was just, did that restaurant choose to want to be able to have, you know, food delivery? 
you know, to be able to increase like their bottom line. You know, I mean, need to make more money, so we're going to deliver to customers. Yeah. You know, but there was always a time where like that got cut off, or like you know, it was only from maybe like, three to eleven p.m. or mm -hmm. something like that. But now it's all day. It's all day. All day. Here's my my counter to all of that, and I think I would hope these young kids or anybody really that it's is taking advantage of these conveniences, whether it be Amazon, skip the dishes, or whatever, environmental reasons is all you need to recognize that these behaviors that we're now becoming part of us need to be set aside. Just think of a think of a skip the dishes when it's delivered to you. There's a car involved. There's fuel, right? There's wear and tear on a vehicle, which would increase parts and maintenance and stuff like that. So there's that whole back end of it. There's the, of course the packaging and the, and when and the import costs of the food because you can't have that many options at your disposal without having to be able to import food. Yeah. So there's that whole supply chain issue. And then there's the, the, once the food is consumed, there's all this packaging and what do you do with all that waste after the fact and how do we deal with it on planet earth? Like that alone drives me insane. Cause if you think about a packaged lunch that's made in your kitchen with reusable containers it's there's there's no there's that just for convenience look at the cost it's not just to your health it's to the planet as well you know and i think that's a, a big part that gets lost with not having connection with food and growing your own food you know because when you grow your own food you understand soil quality you know when you under when you grow your own food you understand how long it takes to be like all these different aspects that come along with it you know and it, like I think we're just more, we have a lot more social responsibility the more that we have connections with just doing things on our own. You know, how many people now can something? Like, how many people made, you know, like a jam or a jelly or, you know, mm -hmm. they've done pickling or, you know, anything along those lines. And, you know, in my household, and granted, you know, again, I'm from Southern Alberta, but like these were standard things. You know, everybody had a couple deep freezes. There's always, bread and cookies and pies and, you know, buns and stuff and lots of meat in the freezers, you know, everybody hunted and fished and everybody had a garden, like all these kind of things. But, you know, a lot of people, it's just such a foreign concept, mm -hmm. you know, even to, you know, when I look at kids now that are in their, you know, mid to late teens and it's like, have you ever pulled a carrot out of the garden? And they're like, no. And I just, it's so foreign to me. I, I'm flabbergasted that that's the world that we live in. There's so many of these kids who just, mm -hmm. they've never even had an experience like that that's so organic to who we are as people. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And I'm thinking about this as you're saying it, like how can we make this better for the kids today? Because especially in a place like the Lower Mainland, finding a property where you can actually have a garden is a challenge for most families, right? So that's a big part of it, I think, in, in a setting like this. Community gardens things like that are things something we would have community to gardens and you know changing some of the bylaws you know at these developments and then just incorporating like there's some great tools now that a lot of people you know aren't exposed to and that's the one thing that we do when we go into the schools um, that we do and introduce them to the innovative farming techniques now there's the foodie tower systems you know there's the zip grow farming towers where they're all hydroponic systems you know based kind of more of like individual use like in-home mm -hmm. applications and you know, I even, you know, challenge developers to be able to expand their, their thought process. So like, yeah, it's nice to have a rooftop hot tub, but everybody that I know, including myself that has or had a hot tub, that you use it lots at the very beginning, and then you just basically change the chemicals for no reason. Yeah, that's what I was, I had too, and I won't have one again. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and so then what are some of the other options? Well, how about instead of, why not give people a choice? Okay, well, you can have a rooftop hot tub on your townhome now, 
or you could have uh, we'll put in uh, like a four tower zip growth system for you. Mm-hmm. You know, with that four tower zip growth system would be way easier, but they can grow their own produce in it. Yeah. You know, and you know they have to have green space and all these developments anyway. How can you incorporate? Yeah, like the community gardens or bring in like hydroponic systems. You know, to be able to create that community garden mm-hmm. feel. You know, in these areas because they have to have this green space anyway. Yeah. There was something, I'm going to go way, way off top, our current topic, back to something you mentioned earlier, and it was about your girls and helping them develop certain skills by taking them to, uh, you know, Taekwondo or whatever, you know, martial arts and and things like that. And um, it's just, I wanted to make sure that, that we um, turn our minds to the current sort of social change that's happening around the, the sexes and, and what's out there with the Me Too movement and things like that. And it is rather near and dear to my heart because as a woman being in a profession that is mostly men um, and being... I don't think everybody knows what you do for oh, a I'm a lawyer. Everybody. I'm not, I'm not a bad, the awful kind. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I used to be Isn't a Isn't every lawyer say they're a good lawyer? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Industry uh, standard. Yeah. Um, I used to be a nurse before I was a lawyer. So there's there's the empathy and compassion right yeah, there. Yeah. And so if 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 I'm not sure if someone's gonna really like that I'm a lawyer, I'll tell them I'm a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and then they can't hate me. Um but um you know, going from from a profession where it's mostly women and being subjected to a lot of the things that women do to each other, right? I'm sure any woman listening could understand they've been mistreated horribly by other women, usually worse than by men. Right? We are really bad to each other. Um, well, and all the studies show that that's what women attack each other socially. You know, like they'll they'll try to ruin them socially amongst you know like peers and family members. And guys will typically just want to you know get old up. school. Yeah, yeah, they buddy like, up because that's how they're raised. Be on a team, help your buddies, have their backs. Women are raised. She's your competition. She's your competition for attention, for men, for compliments, for whatever it is. Right, we're taught we are each other's competition, and that is just—it it just drives me up a wall, right? Um, so coming from from a nursing profession where there's this awful treatment to a profession where I'm the only woman at the table usually, um, or um, I've actually mem- mem- remember being in a meeting. I was in—it uh, was a big corporate meeting with a big regulator of uh, energy in Canada. I'm not going to get into too much detail on it, but you can imagine this big table of about 15 movers and shakers in the energy industry. And I was there on behalf of my company as the legal representative. I was the only woman at the table. Nobody would speak to me. They would speak to each other when they were addressing different subjects, but nobody would look at me and speak to me. I finally, after about the third time speaking up on a subject matter, a a man across the table looked at me and said, you will speak when we ask you to speak. And in fact, you don't even need to be here. Let us, you know. And I like, and that happens all the time. It happens all the time. And then the judgment that goes on with the women's emotions and things like that, despite the statistics out there that show that women are great multitaskers, that we can make great decisions and all that. It's all, it's all ignored. But I don't want to get it too much on my soapbox here, but teaching young women where their strengths are and how confident they can be on their own two feet. It also helps them develop the skills to support other women because they're confident in themselves. 
and they, they weren't raised to be in competition with other women. They're raised to be in competition with themselves. And a lot of this is a lot of what change that needs to happen is going to be from women. It's not women waiting for men to make a change or giving men permit or waiting for men to make permission for us to make a change. You can post all the Twitter you want, make all the comments that you want, make all the marches that you want and the demonstrations that you want, but it has to come from fundamental day-to-day -day interactions with each other. And that's a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. So by teaching your young women that, this is how you be a good person. This, these are your tools. These are your skills. This is how you interact with the world around you. There's none of that. You're not trying to tell them you're not in competition with each other. You're just completely changing the dialogue and how they're raised. And the competition isn't even a word in that perspective. There's no beauty pageants. There's none of that. So it's not even part of their frame of reference. And that's where the change is going to happen because women will be women wherever they are in their own strengths without having to measure is, is this how a man would do it and am I doing it well enough? Um, it's just this is how we do it. Yeah, and I was, you know, obviously anybody knows me and I make references to this all the time about how like books and podcasts and studies and all this kind of stuff. And it's genetically we are so far from eliminating the primal aspect of that when a man sees a woman, he has a genetic firing that happens saying that I need to reproduce with this person. And there's the same genetic like predisposition for women when they see like, like a man who's like, you know, taking charge or, you know, like just like an authority of power saying like, this is how I'm going to pass on like my genes as well. You know, and it's like we find really bad outlets for it now, but it's something that just in, is inside us as people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, and that's a really tough thing to change. And like, that's kind of like a lot of the research out there is like, how how do we all get past that? You know, and that's why they say it's very hard for, you know, men and women to work in the same environments, whether you're talking about like respect or disrespect, but it's just, you know, even like from like physical int intimacy or, you know, emotional intimacy mm -hmm. and like all these kind of things where, you know, we were never really meant to be in these kind of environments together. And they, pro they produce so many social challenges that come along with it. Mm -hmm. You know, we just, it's so soon in our history to know how to be able to navigate all these social situations that we're in now. Um, you know, because like, look, it wasn't that long ago where you openly could talk about having a work wife or a work husband, mm -hmm. you know, but now you would never utter those words out of your mouth. And that, that was recent, you know, and it's yeah, like, right. you think of like all those, how fast they all kind of just snowball and disappear, snowball and disappear. And it's like, yeah. you know, how do we go about that? And then now, you know, and I'm only speaking this from like a man's perspective is that like, you know, even if you've made mistakes, you know, when is the threshold of time where you can live that down? You know, like, obviously there's degrees of mistakes you can make and like some that you should never live down, you know, but like even like small things, um, you know, like I know like a recent thing I've talked about with a lot of men and women is what happened to Drake again, where that, that video got re-released of him pulling that girl up on stage. Like he went through that like seven or eight years ago, dealt with that, probably just wanted to move on with his life, you know, learned something from it. But then the video resurfaces of, you know, him openly admitting like, okay, well, you might be 17 or 18 years old. I'm just going to walk away so I don't go to jail. And then now he's being persecuted for it again. Mm -hmm. Like, how are, how are situations like that fair? You know, like, mm -hmm. there's just all of this complexity to this subject where it's, you know, when can it ever be cut and dry? Mm -hmm. You know, like, even if we give ourselves all the tools to be able to do it, like, 
if there's a, a part of us from a genes perspective, our, our primal instincts that are kind of always nudging us down a different road, but intellectually we want to go down a different road. Like mm -hmm. how do we go through that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, and it's tough because everybody wants to identify with something too. Mm -hmm. You know, I, Socially, we live in a pretty complex time right now, and anybody who's studying like social scientists or sciences is, I can imagine just like how much information they have to draw in on, mm -hmm. and you know, like the challenges, you know, being a woman, the challenges being a man, and you know, it's just it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. And a lot of a lot of what gets lost in a lot in, in this is that the. The, the, where this all came from recently was power struggles, right? Men in power, um, Harvey Weinstein was, yep. you know, very powerful in Hollywood and took advantage of that power. Which those are the things that there should be no threshold of time that goes by mm -hmm. that you could live that down. If it was 30 years from now, he should still be penalized mm -hmm. for things like yeah. that, for sure. Yeah, well, that's why the criminal code, there is no statute there. Yeah. But um, I think that what we have to realize is when it's when is these power power differences – that is some, that's where the energy should be focused and the, and the changes and the, and the, the, um, the education uh, for both men and women, right? And, and the penalties and whatnot when you're abusing power like that. When it slides into these other situations that we're seeing it slide into all the time, a casual run-in, a peer, a classmate, a whatever, those aren't necessarily power struggles per se. They are fundamentally in some ways a power struggle because a man is always stronger than a woman and we always fear like, oh, geez, he can dominate me. There's that, uh, of course, um, but that aside, if I could put it aside, you know, we have to sort of reset this and really look at it and go, is this, is this really where we want to take this? Is this really what we want to talk about? Or is there something else that would be, that we should be talking about that it really is the issue here? Because um, it might not be at all about gender. It might be about something completely different if we just step back for a moment and not think it's about wouldn't that be interesting if it was though? If if like the topic really had nothing to do with gender, yeah. you know. But I, the last six months I've been try because I've been doing so much like studying research on it that I become a lot more cognizant of understanding the things that are really not that big of a deal to me, you know, versus the things that are and then in relationship to a woman to be able to have a bridge with my girls like right now they're just oblivious they're like la di da i'm running through life you know but they're gonna get a little bit older and they're gonna be faced with these these things and you know for example you know even like when we're going snowshoeing tonight i will go 20 miles into the backcountry at night on my own and i will not think twice about it i'll love every single second of it you know but talking to some of the women that are coming tonight they wouldn't even go if there was a group of three of them you know, but simply the fact that I'm going gives them a base level of comfort, mm -hmm. you know, that I'm going. But I would never think of that. Like, I, it would never stop me from going. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the other day, you know, like when I was here, it was probably about like three, four weeks ago. And, you know, this drunk guy came, you know, walking up to me as I was leaving. And he's just like, you know, I need some money for gas. My car just ran out of gas. I'm like, dude, you're drunk. Mm -hmm. And you're asking me for gas money. Yeah. Like, of course I'm not going to give it to you. You know, but it's five o'clock in the morning. You know, and I could just imagine, I'm like, if, if a woman was in this situation right now, like, how scary that would be because he would also get the sense that he could overpower her. Mm -hmm. Like, I shut him down quick. And I'm sure he probably understood that there's just no leeway with me, but I have that luxury. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's also trying to build the understanding in those gaps, too, because it's so easy to mm -hmm. walk through your day, especially as a guy being, like, these things mean nothing to me, mm -hmm. so why do they mean anything to you? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I think you've crossed over into that whole sexual assault 
area, right? Which is another conversation, I think. Um, and I, I don't think that'll ever go away. Like you say, men and women are different. Men have an urge, whatever. Um, and it is. I think about it all the time. The amount of times, especially now in BC, where there's so many places to go and explore, but a lot of it is very solitary. And you think, the amount of times I've been, or just, just little things, like I was on the um, Spirit Trail uh, in West Vancouver by the UBC. Yep. Spirit Regional. What's it called? Spirit Regional? Yep. yep. And I was by myself. And a guy walked by and immediately I got all nervous and, and it just ruined my moment because I just. Do you think a party went back to that moment? It was about two, three, four years ago now when there was that guy, all those women at UBC when they were out running, I think it happened three, four, five times that they got sexually assaulted. I didn't even know about that. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that you might've been going back to that. No, no, yeah. no, I didn't even know about that. I moved here three years ago and then okay. for that I went. So then, you know, like these are, you know, even some like the interesting transfers, especially because we live in BC. So, you know, you could go to City Park in Burnaby, where lots of women have unfortunately been sexually assaulted, you know, harassed and everything, because, you know, they've been on these trails, it's a big park, they're alone. And, you know, there's gonna be some guys that are preying on that. You know, what I always look at, you know, especially with going into the backcountry, it's like, well, it's, it's your fortress of solitude you know, like there's gonna be nothing out there and a pervert's probably not gonna walk 10 miles into the backcountry to be able to sexually assault you but he will at a park mm -hmm. so you're kind of fundamentally more safe going into the backcountry but it doesn't make you feel any better mm -hmm. no because if you if you do happen to you're you're sol i mean yep. you know and it, and it really is it's just it's maddening that you can't just have a peaceful walk somewhere if and, you know, I tell, I do with myself and, and, you know, I know a lot of other parents that say the same thing and like with kids, it's like, you know, never walking with two earphones in, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to have your earbuds in, always have like one in, one out, so you can kind of be relatively perceptive of your, of yeah. your environment, you know, but it doesn't help, mm -hmm. you know, but the sad thing is, is you have to entertain that, mm -hmm. you know, young man or young woman or, you know, anything like you have to entertain the possibility that somebody when they see you with headphones in they automatically are like i can be more successful at attacking this person yeah there yeah. wasn't there a guy recently in one of the parks in vancouver who was doing that he was targeting women joggers with headphones in yeah and he was like hiding in some trees or something there's always oh, some sick guys crazy. doing some crazy yeah. things yeah like it's i don't think that'll ever go away unfortunately there's no way you can stop that and the reason why you will never be able to stop it is because a woman can be sexually assaulted and a guy can't yeah well, well yeah, again, I'm not going to say camp, but like, it's let's be honest yeah. here. Like, it's pretty lopsided. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a struggle. Yeah. So, you know, like, those are just kind of like, but, and again, all the more the reason why it's important, like you were saying, for, you know, girls, you know, grow up, you know, in fitness environments, you know, being athletic, you know, going, you know, maybe learning some skills as like a martial arts or something along those lines. So that they have a confidence that even if they get into one of those situations, that they have an opportunity to be able to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and hopefully they'll have other friends who want to go with them. So they're not alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you know, that is, you know, we were, we were talking about this before the podcast too, that you know, having just people, you know, like hooking each other up with, you know, other like-minded individuals to be able to have a network of people to go do things with, whether it's jogging or biking in the, and again, we're fortunate in BC where there's a, a large pool of people going out and doing things, but you know, you might live in a neighborhood in a city, a town or a province or a state where you might have nobody to be able to go with and you have no option. Yeah. You know, the only other option is just going to a gym, being stuck inside or running in your treadmill at home. Yeah. And you should have the freedom to be able to go outside. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 
We kind of went all social justice warrior on this thing at the end, eh? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it just like, I know we kind of were talking about like, you know, Debbie and her life, you know, everything that kind of, you know, makes you tick and, you know, we didn't really kind of get into some of like the, the real hard details, but I just wanted people to really understand some of the big things about you is, you know, not only just growing up in, you know, in a family that's so big and prioritizing sports and athletics and, you know, I know we didn't talk about it, you know, but Debbie also has a biology degree, you know, she's a nurse, you know, she's a lawyer, you know, sports is being a huge part of her, her life. And the most recent is that she competed in a bodybuilding show last year, right? Yeah, last year. Last year. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you know, no matter what's going on in her life, like obviously, you know, somebody who's, you know, re-educating themselves later on in life, you know, making the transfer from being a nurse and going into being a lawyer, still finding the time to be active and, you know, understanding the priority behind that. Like, how do you bridge that gap? Like, how do you manage it all? We are all given 24 hours in the day. It's what we do with it that makes the next 24 hours what they are. And if you if you don't like a certain part of your life or maybe you like it, but you, you think it could be better, or even if you're just curious about something else, what you do today will get you to... If you don't take action today, how are you going to figure all that out, right? I mean, I know that sounds really basic, and, and but... That's how I bridge it is I just I just look at it and I make a plan. I do a little bit of, you know, what do I need for this? So you're not going in it blind, right? You want success. You want to know what you need to expect out of yourself. And choose to use my 24 hours wisely. And it does require sacrifice. There's no – I don't care what any fitness buff is going to tell you or author, book author, or health guru. You cannot have it all. You've got to make choices. And what are your choices? If you if you don't like where you are today, make a choice to do something different today to make tomorrow what you want it to be. So if you want to be a little more fit, for me, I have to put things on the calendar or else I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I register for a bodybuilding competition or I register for the Grand Fondo or whatever it is. Um, Last year, I also I did the Grand Fondo, but I also did the um, Ride to Conquer Cancer. And that was sort of a warm-up for the Grand Fondo. But it's a great cause, and I met some amazing people. It was so much fun. And it was pouring rain the entire time, just pouring for two days. And we were freezing cold, but it was so much fun. But just put things on the calendar if that's what works for you. Be accountable. Hire professionals to help you if you can afford it. If not, do your research. There's a lot of information out there. And just choose to use one hour at a time in the best way possible. And make sure also that you're not, yes, you're going to have to sacrifice, but don't look at it as a sacrifice. Look at it as an investment. That's what it is. If, you need, if you're going to cook for two hours tonight because for four days you want to eat well, it's an investment in those four days. And what is your outcome going to be in four days instead of skip the dishes, which you're going to have less bank account and only a couple meals for it. And you're not going to be any better off. So... How do you, I know we kind of talked about it, you know, briefly before, but how do you deal with, you know, like the social pressure of people saying, you know, you work out too much or, you know, you know, you must be run down because, you know, you're working out so much all the time. Like, how do you, how do you personally deal with that? I just don't, I don't let it sink in. I never have. I remember when I was a nurse and I decided to go to law school, my marriage was breaking up and it was hitting the fan. Like it was just like, it was just not right. And I decided, no, I'm, I'm going to go to law school. I need something better that I can support my kids with. This, this nursing's not going to cut it when they get to university. So 
the amount of people, doctors at the hospital, everybody was telling me that I was crazy to give up my job and the pension plan and go back to school and be in debt. I mean, they painted this whole horrible picture of my life and what a bad decision it was. And I heard this all day long, every day. That I'm not living their life. I'm living my life. That's their fear. That's exactly. Maybe they really want to do more, but they're too scared. So keep me in that comfort zone, right? Like, how yeah. could you do that? Because I don't have the guts to do that. How could you? Um, and if you do it, that might make me feel bad about myself. Mm. So I don't want you to do it. And so I just, no, no, yeah. it's just, I, it just doesn't sink in. And the other part of me that's maybe a little sick, but when people tell me I can't do something, I really like it. I want you to tell me that. I want you because it will drive me. Yeah. It will. And I just get a little personal. My, um, my ex-husband through our divorce was really, really nasty. He did everything you could think of that a person could do during a divorce that would ruin the kids and the other parent. And he kept telling me he's doing it all <clears throat> because he didn't want me to graduate law school. And he didn't want me to be successful. And he wanted me to be broke and he wanted me to be sad and he wanted all these things. And I just, that fueled me so much. So, oh, you think, oh, really? You think that, that what you are doing is going to affect me in a negative way? I don't think so. And you turn it around because it's easy to get caught up in that, especially now with social media and all the nasty stuff people say about you. If you post something, right? Turn it around. Screw them. Live your own life. Do what's right for you. I always think it's funny, especially with the, the social media side. It's like, you know, if you want to come at me on, on social media, that's fine. Because there'll probably be one point in time with the software, how it is now, that you'll get a memory of that moment when you came at me. And, you'll, and, you know, whether you go back in your little memories thing or not and take a look at them, you know, but you'll probably be faced with it again. And you're going to look so stupid. Like, I had this person once, I because I take my daughters to vote. And I, I sit down and, you know, I know they're young. You know, I started with my oldest when she was four. And I think it's critical. You know, we live in a d democracy. Kids don't get educated that they should get in their vote and they have a voice. So I'm sitting there outside of the, um, you know, of the gymnasium we went in where there's like the election candidate signs. And, you know, I sit in there and I take a selfie with her and I post on Facebook. And I'm like, I hope the other parents, you know, bring, bring their kids out too. And in the background on the sign, it said, um, no cell phones beyond this point or no pictures beyond this point. So somebody on social media circled that and reposted it back saying like, um, you're actually setting a bad example because it says clearly on the sign that you're not supposed to be taking photos and you're taking a photo with your daughter. And I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> your takeaway from this whole moment? Yeah. Like that, so I go like, so I think they're funny because so I'm just like at the end of the day, that's on you. Yeah. I can laugh about it because you don't realize how stupid you actually are. Yeah. You know, but those are the funny moments. I just, I laugh at them because I'm like, hopefully at one point in time, you'll get faced with it and you'll be embarrassed about how stupid you are. Oh yeah. And the energy people are spending on this kind of thing. Yeah. Did you see the viral news feed recently? It was an actor. I forget his name. And somebody was really nasty to him in, on social media. I think it was a direct message, not a public posting. So the guy, the actor says, um, clearly this guy's, he, then he makes it public and he says, everybody, I've set up a GoFundMe for this guy. Cause he, he looked at the, who the, this person was and looked at a little bit about him. And he was like a vet. He had major medical issues, like stuff was going on. So instead of getting into a negative confrontation with this guy, he decided to turn it into a positive and created a GoFundMe for his, this guy's medical bills. 
hopefully it works out that way because you can see the way the world runs these days that yeah. like oh you're showing pity on him and you know yeah. blah, blah. Well, like yeah. you like you, people can spin that anyway so yeah. hopefully uh hopefully it works out for him so yeah. um but actually uh debbie from my we got to wrap this this yeah. guy up it was a pleasure talking to you and you know, I'm sure everybody can kind of understand at this point in time that when, whenever I sit down and talk to Debbie, it could be one of those conversations that starts as five minutes and ends five hours later. Right. So um, hopefully everybody enjoys it. And Debbie, do you have anything last minute that you want to say, throw it out to everybody? No, How to just, be able to kick ass yeah, and be exactly. awesome? Yeah, exactly. Just kill it, guys. Kill it. Just, you know, live your, live your life the way you want. And uh, we all make mistakes too. And don't feel bad. Don't let those guide your decisions. Awesome. Put them behind you. Great advice. Well, thank you, Debbie, for coming in. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.